This is a marketing communication. Please refer to the key information document or KID before making any final investment decisions. Investing involves risk. The value of an investment and the income from it may fall as well as rise and investors might not get back the full amount invested. Past performance does not predict future returns. The mention of any particular security or strategy should not be considered as a recommendation. For further information on the Brunner Trust, please go to www.brunner.co.uk. Welcome to the 16th and latest installment of Connected Investor, the podcast from the Brunner Investment Trust. I am Joe Lynham, the BBC presenter and News Talk business editor. And in this podcast, we're going to pick up on a theme we discussed a little while ago, but one which has increased in relevance for investors, and it's decarbonization and what electrification means for the markets and, of course, the Brunner Fund. I'm joined by the co-leads of the Brunner Investment Trust, Christian Schneider, who you will know, but also by the new boy, Julian Bishop, who has now also the co-lead of the Brunner Investment Trust portfolio. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening to both of you. Hi. Can I start with you, Julian, as the new kid on the block and ask you, what's Brunner's position when it comes to backing companies with strong decarbonization credentials? Thanks. I, it's a very good question. So I think I would start off by saying that you know we see decarbonisation as one of the most significant themes of the coming decades in, in in the global economy, simply because we are talking about effectively a complete re-engineering of of the global economy. So uh, fossil fuel usage is is deeply embedded into almost every economic activity there is. Um, so it's a huge industrial investment that's going to be needed. And it will drive growth for a lot of businesses who provide relevant products and, and, and services. Um, at, at Brunner, we like to, with all of our investments, we like to balance quality, value, and growth. So I, I think it's clear that the, the growth is there. Whether the quality and the value is, is a, another question. So for, for quality, we, we need barriers to entry, sustainable competitive advantages, um, high returns on invested capital, things like that. And then for value, we look at free cash flow generation. So whether we back a company re- really with strong decarbonization credentials depends on the balance of those three three factors. But I think what's what's clear is the more the more you read about decarbonization and, and the journey to net zero, um, the more that you realize that it just requires electrifying everything. And so electric cars are a good early example of that. But we need to do that across all the segments of, of, of the economy. So the International Energy Agency, uh, they, they suggest that only 18% of today's energy usage is actually coming from electricity. The rest is primarily fossil fuels, um, which are burnt in situ, so in an engine or a boiler or a furnace. And that ratio will have to increase whilst the amount of energy in total being consumed is increasing because of growth in, in, in the economy, particularly in emerging markets. So it's a huge, huge capital investment. Uh, and if we're going to stand a chance of getting to net zero by 2050, we need to generate lots more electricity. We need to find ways of moving it around, storing it. And I think you know, as we do that, there'll be lots of opportunities for, for, for Brunner uh, in our investments. Christian, can I bring you in on this? Um, quite a few of the big energy intensive companies, whether they're in chemicals or mining or in the production of oil and gas, 
um, they all have stated goals of reaching net zero, whether it's by 2050 or whatever year. But getting there is tough because oil and gas is so profitable still. Well, absolutely. I mean, as uh, Julian kind of alluded to, uh, the decarbonization uh, we're we're facing here, and that will kind of um, will be a companion factor for the next decade or two for us, will create all sorts of fault lines in the economy. Uh, fault lines for for those companies that have to decarbonize. Fault lines for companies that uh, kind of create business or have businesses that help decarbonize, and um, luckily those that that do not have to worry too much about it. Uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's a cheap source of energy right now, and um, the infrastructure is in place. And uh, to decarbonize simply means uh, that the uh, economy has to shift completely. Um, its cores in terms of supplying energy to companies that use it and kind of consumers that use the energy out there. So while we're going to a filling station, uh, kind of filling up the, the car with some diesel or gasoline uh, currently, um, uh, electricity needs to be distributed going forward. Uh, there will be kind of a plug-in power stations somewhere. There will be um, kind of refueling the e-vehicle at home uh, potentially, but that puts a lot of uh, tension on the grid. At the same time, we're shifting away uh, from uh, carbon and fossil fuel driven uh, electricity generation or power generation uh, uh, providers towards more sustainable providers. Well, unfortunately, those uh, create more volatile uh, power out there, and uh, kind of the grid needs to accustom uh, itself to that. So, as I said, a lot of fault lines out there, but those fault lines create opportunities uh, for companies helping us shifting the infrastructure uh, forward. It will create opportunities for companies that win the race to decarbonize and separate themselves from its peers. And also, uh, last but not least, for us as, as investors, kind of focusing on companies that don't need to worry at all in the first place, because for them, it's not a big issue. So there are various aspects in there as an investor to, to think about decarbonization uh, and the fault lines along it. Um, Julian, would you say that we're close to some sort of critical mass whereby companies are producing the right type of decarbonized product or electrified product and that it will be profitable? Because at the moment, the returns aren't near good enough yet, even if the, the goal is there and the technology is there, but it doesn't have quite the critical mass yet for mass takeoff. Um, I, th I think the production of electricity, of renewable electricity, um, delivers reasonable returns, but but you know th th there's very little in terms of barriers to entry to prevent somebody from from generating electricity. So it's not a high value add activity. So we invest in a couple of utilities. Um, they produce electricity um, and they get a regulated return on that production. So it's not very high, but it is it is decent. Um, in, in terms of the cost competitiveness of renewables it's it's there i mean solar and and wind today is is very cost competitive with gas coal etc as prices have compounded a great deal um but the issue remains and christian just alluded to this the issue remains the intermittency of of renewable power generation so it's then very very hard to to store or transport that energy so there's a a, a couple of things that you know we we find interesting 
Um, you know, despite all the talk of batteries and, and, and so on, the, the easiest way to store electricity on an industrial scale today is actually just to pump water up a hill and then <laughs> let it back down again when you need the Which is not very avant-garde. It's, it's not very avant-garde, no, no. But it's what you need to do if you need to store electricity on a massive scale. You let it back down, you have a sort of minor, a small-scale hydroelectricity plant in, in effect, and you get about 75%, 80% of your energy back that way. But that's pretty much the most sophisticated <laughs> way of storing uh, energy today. And, and that need for storage really complicates the economics of, of, of electricity. So that's one of the most significant problems that, that needs to be overcome so in terms of electricity generation you know it, it makes profit and it's cost competitive what we need to now do is solve this issue of storage and transport and transportability so so one of the issues that i or one of the opportunities i think will be out there in the future is, is hydrogen uh, i think that will solve a lot of problems once you have green hydrogen that is hydrogen produced from renewable sources and you can make a product that can then be stored and transported um, that will be a major breakthrough. And I think when that happens, that road to net zero, um, that, that pathway will accelerate a great deal. Yeah, it's very interesting, Christian. You've got multiple colored hydrogen, don't you? You've got blue hydrogen and, of course, you've got now green hydrogen, which is the goal. Germany is definitely looking very seriously at hydrogen. They're talking about hydrogen-powered cars. Uh, and yet other bits of Europe are less keen on that. Well, kind of the German car makers have been experimenting with hydrogen cars um, as long as I'm in, in this business, actually. Um, so I started in 1996, uh, and back then um, there were a great deal of companies already looking into the technology and, and see whether it can be done economically. Yet the struggle to do so. Um, uh, it's uh, kind of one thing to create hydrogen, uh, so the technology is there, but to do it mass efficiently is currently, and for the last 25 years, um, has been a challenge. So um, for the time being, it looks like electrification of cars uh, is uh, the more um, viable uh, way forward. Um, that being said, uh, as Julian alluded to, uh, green hydrogen once uh, once being able to produce in in, in scale and uh, in a cost efficient way is a great way of storing um, storing energy. Um, because as you know, um, a solar power plant uh, will create power uh, when daylight is there, not at night, of course. But we will watch TV on the Champions League. Uh, same with um, with um, or Eurovision. Wood or your vision uh again ma making the last place there uh, as germans um as usual same is true for wind powered plants actually they have volatile nature and so we need this storage capacity to to buffer these things out basically julian in terms of the the storage idea um are there companies coming along I mean, you've mentioned batteries and you're talking about hydrogen. Are there companies that the fund is looking at which which could be about to make a big leap in this area? The uh, simple answer is, is, is no. There's, there's nothing that we have that specifically addresses that. We don't have any investments in, in hydrogen, which are of significance today. We, we invest in a utility, I, I mentioned, and, and they're involved in what's called pump storage, which is this idea of pumping electricity up a, sorry, pumping water up a hill and then letting it back down again to to generate electricity. Um, but there's nothing I would I would point to in in, in storage 
where we have an investment. So again, we're trying to balance sort of quality, value, and, and growth. I think today a, a lot of investments in storage are reasonably speculative. Um, so they're sort of better suited, I think, to angel investors, mm-hmm. people who are more willing to take a uh, huge risk, take a huge risk, take a bit of a punt uh, with an expectation of either losing all your money or making a you know a, a huge return on your investments. And that's not what we do. We're all about. You know, in, in, in cricketing terms, we're talking about hitting ones and twos, not swinging for sixes. Christian, can I ask you the final question? And that is, are, are there companies um, that you'd like to invest in, but they're based in countries that there is an ESG risk? Well, good point. Uh, clearly, around the world, a lot of um, investment in decarbonization efforts, uh, kind of this is in countries with a democratic background and others that uh, are less so focused on democracy and the rule of law, basically. Um, we take a careful look at both, actually. Uh, as usual, countries that do have a lower ESG uh, rating basically are not ruled out. We are not an ESG-driven fund in the first place, uh, uh, yet we take those risks uh, kind of carefully um, uh, in mind when we uh, make our assessment about the, the quality of investment that's out there. So uh, a company that is uh, headquartered and is residing and doing most of the business in a country where the rule of law is not applying, you want to have an extra haircut on, basically, uh, in order to make it interesting. So uh, two companies, same price, same valuation, doesn't make sense if, um, if there is this extra added risk to that. So that's the approach we're taking here at this, this point. Thank you very much. I think we'll call it a day there. That was Julian Bishop and Christian Schneider, the co-leads of the Brunner Investment Trust. And that's all the time we have for this particular podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to Connected Investor wherever you get your podcasts so you don't have to go hunting for it next time. Thank you all for listening. And if you want to get in touch, go to our website, www.brunner.co.uk. That's B-R-U-N-N-E-R.co.uk. From Christian, from Julian, and from me, Joe Lynham. Ta-ta for now.